live from South Florida. The Brian Mudd Show starts right now. News Radio. More than a thousand manatees are dying in Florida from starvation due to man-made pollution. Runoff from farms, urban areas, and sewage promotes growth of blue-green algae and other organisms that choke off light needed by seagrass, the manatees' main food. Yeah, of course, one of the things that happened last year, if you're trying to look for any silver lining associated with the, the tragedy of the record number of manatee deaths last year, A lot of what we have been talking about for over a decade and a lot of what we've been trying to get accomplished and thankfully in recent years have been making incremental progress on with the Everglades Restoration Project, the theoretical improvements coming with the Army Corps of Engineers and the like was some outside influence here. You know, that was a national news report you just heard, ABC News. And so now you're starting to get some national attention on the battle that we've had in Florida with toxic discharges out of Lake Okeechobee and with the concept, the, the problems, the consequences of that water that runs off, which if it has algae, I mean, it's obvious what the problems are, but even just messing with the natural water systems, with having the unnatural flow of the fresh water from Lake go into our estuaries, that alone has a negative consequence, and it's something that we've talked about before with aquatic biologist, executive director Patrick Rose of Save the Manatee Club. And well, it just so happens that uh, this is Seagrass Awareness Month, and Patrick, back to talk with us again. Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, first thing I want to check with you on, we know the FWC has been working on their you know, basically lettuce feeding program for the manatees, trying to, at the margins, help the the starvation crisis that's been going on. What's your read on that program at this point and, and the overall effectiveness of it? Well, first of all, we're, you know, it's really sad that this ever had to happen. It's We had so many extra amount of food, at literally, through seagrasses in the Indian River Lagoon, which had never been there, but we are there. And in fact, the mortality this year is on a par with last year, which was totally unprecedented. So, so the supplemental feeding was necessary. It's going reasonably well now. It had a pretty slow start. Thankfully, it's warming up. But boy, we've got a lot of things to do to both protect manatees right now, but also to work in every way we can to restore that ecosystem of the entire Indian River Lagoon. And that's going to take working at many different levels from the basic things we'd understand with the science, but also there's a a really weak link, and that is that our water quality standards themselves under the Clean Water Act uh, are just not what they need to be, and if we rely on those, we're never going to get there. So one of the things that we are doing as Save the Manatee Club that is of the last resort, we are uh, petitioning the Environmental Protection Agency to formally consult with the Fish and Wildlife Service to upgrade the water quality standards themselves and upgrade the penalties for violating those standards. To your point, Patrick, you take a look at the the current federal standards, you take a look at even some of the the state standards. I know we passed our own act uh, over the past couple of years. What kind of science is that based on? In other words, you know, do we what we know today is it vastly different than when, you know, that those policies were created? Or is it a matter that they were were just weak to begin with? 
Well, one, they were watered down and weakened from the political side. So the science was probably better than what the standards were set at because politics interfered with it. But at the same token, the circumstances are changing. We've, we've had so many years of growth and development in Florida where we're not paying our way, where we're, in, in essence, we're mortgaging our environmental future. And in places like the Indian River Lagoon, nature's really foreclosing on us because we didn't essentially pay our bill on time in terms of protecting those ecosystems from the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and, and it comes from so many different sources. You mentioned the Everglades, and that's pretty well known with, with the sugar impacts and, and, and the blue-green blooms that come from that. But farther north, we're seeing brown tides. We're seeing a number of other uh, algal blooms that have been so severe that it's shaded out. We've lost 90-some percent of the seagrass. Getting back to the solutions, though, we think you have to combine the power of the Clean Water Act together with the Endangered Species Act because this direct effect of not maintaining proper water quality has killed the seagrass, which has killed the manatees. That brings in the Endangered Species Act. So the, the Fish and Wildlife Service federally and the EPA have to get together combine the powers of those acts, and if they won't do it on their own, we are in a position to sue for that because we don't have that much more time before more and more systems are going to see this type of collapse occur. Patrick, if manatees were an endangered species again, would that have a direct impact on what the federal government, and what I'm thinking about here is the Army Corps of Engineers, their ability to discharge water out of Lake Okeechobee if it's known that you know, the seagrass is imperiled because of that activity? It should not theoretically matter if they're, they're listed as endangered or threatened. The, actually, the law, the way it's written primarily right now, is, allows them to do it. But it does factually matter because of in terms of the, the impetus that's put behind it, how far they'll go. But that's why we're having to turn to the courts if that's what it takes. We're hoping we're going to sit down and discuss these things with them. We know they agree with us as to what the causes are, and they actually agree with us in terms of what the solutions are. But again, we've got to fight that other politics side of it that helps, you know, keep this from getting where it needs to get in terms of cleaning up the water to the point it can, the seagrass can regrow and we can know and count on those healthy aquatic ecosystems, not just for manatees, but for fisheries and the quality of life and, and ultimately the economics of Florida. Has the degradation bottomed out, in your view, with seagrass and with our estuaries at, the, at this point, or is it still getting worse right now? So it is probably getting just a little better with the different multiple efforts that are going in to try to make it better. But it got so bad that we're starting almost starting over. Uh, and so we, we say the Manatee Club, in addition to what we've talked about in terms of holding the agencies responsible, we're reaching out and actually giving some grants to help form a, a seagrass assembly that gets all the different partners together, which a lot of that's happening already, and a number of things are happening. St. Brevard County, for example, it has, it's got a pretty aggressive program to remove nutrients and, and to do more. But collectively, we've got to get even more folks working, sort of rowing in the same direction to, you know, to use an aquatic analogy. And there's, there's needs to be about $6 billion brought to turning this around. There's been a lot, of course, that, that needed to be done and was done for the Everglades. We need to see the IRL re restoration on a par with what's happening in the Everglades. And, of course, it will probably be meet some 
you know, resistance. But I think for the most part, we should have a, a, a good environment for getting it cleaned up before it gets any worse. Well, that's somewhat encouraging. Uh, Patrick, if we did all the right things today, how long would it take to restore the seagrass? Well, that's a sobering reality. We're talking about real recovery probably over a decade. But that we can't get discouraged by that because there are a number of things we can do incrementally to get us there. And so I'm optimistic if we really get people, again, rowing together and doing it, we can start to make a difference right away. But ultimately, yes, it's going to take over a decade. And for people who, who are concerned, that are engaged, I'm, I'm sure, you know, financial contribution to save the manatee club is is always appreciated um any any other thoughts for people well absolutely that will help and and we are going to be we are developing an actual restoration fund so that we can help encourage others that have the that maybe the people or the resources to do it but don't have the funding directly so we are going to be fundraising on that and and we've already been giving money to those issues right now uh, also, the Manatee Rescue and Rehabilitation Partnership, which we're a founding member and a fiduciary sponsor, we're trying to, of course, make sure every manatee can be saved right now while we're working to restore their ecosystem. Uh, but there are lots of ways that, that different organizations are helping, and then ultimately, though, we've got to get the federal government on board to use the Endangered Species Act together with the Clean Water Act. And that will translate ultimately to giving direction to the state of Florida because there has already been a delegation for these weaker standards to Florida, and Florida hasn't been meeting that need. So we really, this is one of those times where getting the federal partners together are going to make a difference in what Florida does. Got it. All right. Appreciate the work that you're doing. Keep on keeping on. That is Aquatic Biologist, Executive Director of Save the Manatee Club, Patrick Rose. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, we will have Natalie and a trending story up next here in the Brian Mudd Show. News Radio 610 WIOD.